baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Kevin Borup. He is Associate Director of the Injury Prevention Center at Connecticut Children's Medical Center in Hartford, here to talk about summer safety with the official start of the season just a few weeks away now. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me. And even though the calendar doesn't say summer quite yet, we have already entered the 100 deadliest days for teenage drivers, and that is something that we try to talk about every year to get the word out about road safety. What should people know? Well, absolutely. Memorial Day to Labor Day is a dangerous time on our roads. Uh, And for young people especially, um, you know, in 2016, more than 1,000 people died in crashes involving teens during the 100 deadliest days. And we've seen, you know, an increase over time. Um, And when we look at why these crashes are happening, Certainly speed, as always, you might guess, is a major factor. Um, in the past, we've done a lot of work on, on teen driving safety, and you know, training is critically important for teens. So if you're a parent and you're going out this summer with your teen, give them as many hours of supervised driving on the road that you can. The more hours that they have, the safer they're going to be. And interesting enough, Aaron, I, I, I heard about a, a new tool that's out there. And if you happen to have an Xbox at home, uh, one of these companies has actually put a driver uh, training tool on the Xbox that you can get. Not that I'm pushing anything, but it's called Driving Essentials. So if you have an Xbox and, uh, Xbox and you have a teen who likes video games, this might be a good fit to supplement those hours on the road. It doesn't take the place of it. But any tool to increase the amount of uh, situations that teens are uh, exposed to and where they can practice reactions, uh, the safer they're going to be. The state has done a lot of work on teen driver safety and putting in some common sense restrictions for teen drivers. But that should really just be a starting point. It really is. Uh, The graduate driver license in Long Connecticut is a great law. And it does a few things. One, restricting passengers in the vehicle really during the first year. But it's really up to parents to enforce the graduate driver licensing law. Uh, Law enforcement can't do it by themselves. And so it really is a nice tool for parents so that they can eliminate uh, some of the biggest risks for kids, which are driving at night, having other passengers in the car. Those are two top risks. And, of course, for all of us, teens included, don't be distracted while driving, and, and adults are just as big of an offender of this as teens. But So put those phones down and uh, listen to the radio. The state has one, and insurance companies have their own. These teen driver contracts that kind of spell out the rules of the road within the household between teen drivers and their parents. Is that something you recommend? Absolutely. As a parent, as you start bringing your teen into kind of this driver experience, 
it's important that you sit down with them and go over what your rules are going to be and what your expect- expectations are going to be. And your insurance company probably does have a teen driving contract. You can go online and find um, many different kinds. And I would just suggest find one that you think will work with you and use it. It's not really any particular contract, but it's the fact that you sit down with your teen, go over the rules, set limits, and hold them accountable. Moving from driving to alcohol consumption, you know, the, the laws say that you, you shouldn't be buying or consuming alcohol if you're under 21, but we all know it happens. What advice do you have for parents about having that conversation about underage drinking? Well, it goes back to, again, we talked about rules and consequences, right? Set rules for your teens. And if uh, you find either whether you witness it or whether you hear about them drinking, have a consequence for it. Take the car away from them. Um, If you find evidence of alcohol use by them or their friends, do the same thing. Uh, Impose a limit on them, impose a consequence. And, and let them know that you're you're serious about it. Taking a hard line is one thing, but I, I imagine it's also important to say to your your teen, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you need a ride or something, you shouldn't hesitate to call and get a parent or someone else in authority who who's who's got your safety in mind to come get you. Absolutely, and we recommend for all parents to you know make that offer to their children and say if you find yourself whatever age you are whether you're 16, 17, or or 20, 21, 22, if you're in close proximity to your parents, be that person that your child can call when they get into a situation and they know it's unsafe. And they can call you, and not only will you take care of them, but if they have any friends with them, you'll make sure they're safe too. Going back to the graduated driver's license we have in Connecticut, one of the exceptions for driving after that curfew time is for work. And a lot of teens are going to be getting a part-time job this summer with you know, being out of school. What do we need to know about young workers in Connecticut? Well, what's interesting is a lot of kids, of course, go and have summer jobs. And for sometimes, this is the first job they've ever had. I think parents just need to uh, help their child as they go into this experience, understand where they're going to be working. Uh, because compared to other workers – young workers are two times as likely to get injured on the job as older workers. And so as your child takes a job, you need to talk to them uh, about safety, talk to them about what they should do if they find that they're in an unsafe situation. How do they handle that? Do they just do what they were asked to do? Do they go to a supervisor? Uh, Talk through their plan for uh, what they should do if they perceive a dangerous situation or a dangerous practice. Do we know why they're more likely to be injured? Is it because they're not as experienced or is it because maybe some bosses say, well, they're young and resilient. I'm going to have them do something, get up on a ladder or something that someone older might not be willing to do. Yeah, it's probably a combination of factors there and including just uh, their young lack of experience. And as we know, going back to the, the issue of driving, for a long time, we've known that children, their brain does not fully uh, develop impulse control and risk assessment until they're about 25. So in addition to inexperience, you have a brain development issue where young people look at situations differently and process uh, risk a lot differently than an adult. So perhaps that teenager is working out of doors this summer. So hydration and sun protection are important. 
absolutely. As we go into the summer, we forget uh, that if we're not hydrated, uh, we can have some problems. If you don't, if you're not drinking water and you're not hydrated, you can become dizzy. You can feel tired. You can be irritable and even uh, confused at times. And you you can suffer from low blood pressure as well. So make sure that you're hydrating uh, when you're out there this summer. And uh, what the CDC recommends is if you're out in the sun, uh, wear a hat, sunglasses, and long sleeves if you're going to be out there working. Um, otherwise, if you're looking at a sunscreen, make sure you put on a sunscreen that is SPF 30 or greater, uh, both, uh, and it's rated for UVB and UVA. And reapply if you're out for a long and period reapply, or in the water or something, right? right? Absolutely. What do we know about sun exposure, especially when you're young? It, it kind of has a, a cumulative effect as you age, doesn't it? It, it has both an immediate effect and, a, and an effect over time, which it can make you uh, more prone to skin cancers and other conditions. Um, even if you're outside for 15 minutes with exposed skin, say between 10 and 4 during the height of the day, uh, you can get a burn. And it may not even be a burn that you can feel right away. It can take up to 24 hours for the uh, damage to your skin, for you, for you to really feel it and see the effect of that. Now, I know some young people, some older people as well, like to get that so-called healthy tan, but there's really no such thing, is there? That's right. I mean, I think what we know about the evidence right now is there is no such thing as a healthy tan, but if you want to be out in the sun, uh, limit your sun exposure, wear that long sleeve shirt, and uh, put a good uh, base of a sunscreen on. Okay. And with kids out of school, certainly a lot of them will be walking and biking places this summer. What do we need to know about pedestrian and bicycle safety? Well, I think all of us uh, need to be aware that we're going to see more young people out on the roads and more modes of, trans uh, of transit. Uh, there's a campaign statewide called Watch For Me CT. And what it really focuses on is all road users. So are you driving? Are you walking? Are you on a bicycle? We all have to be aware of each other. So if you're a driver, understand that you're going to see young kids out on bikes, walking, uh, you know, keep your speeds down. And we all know that in residential neighborhoods, the slower, the better. Um, we know that the, the risk of death greatly increases if you get hit in a, in, with a vehicle going more than 20 miles per hour. So if you're in a residential uh, zone, really slow down. And if you see kids on the side of the road, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know if they can see you. So as a driver, I would say really control that speed in residential areas and and be ready to react if you see uh, people, other road users on the road, either cyclists or people walking. Expect the unexpected because people don't always use crosswalks. That's right. And if you're a pedestrian, you know, the responsibility isn't on drivers alone. It's all our responsibility. And if you're a pedestrian, you should be crossing in a marked crosswalk if there is one or at a corner uh, where people expect you to be crossing. Those mid-block crossings can be uh, quite dangerous, especially when there are cars parked on the side of the road, drivers really can't see very well, and they can't. Uh, they often don't expect someone to just jump out between two parked cars. When it comes to riding a bicycle, what is the law in terms of uh, helmet use in Connecticut? In Connecticut, if you're under 16, you should be wearing a helmet. But I would really expand that and say the law is really the the base the uh, the the base of what we should be doing. But 
everyone should be wearing a helmet if they're riding a bike. If you're an adult, you should model that behavior if you have children, and so you should have a helmet on too. But if you're under 16, it is the law that you need to wear a helmet if you're riding a bike. What kind of difference can helmet use versus not wearing a helmet make if you are involved in a crash? Right. So wearing a helmet has been proven time and again to reduce injuries overall and to reduce deaths. Uh, The original impetus for changing the law was the evidence that just showed the dramatic reduction uh, in injuries and in deaths when you wore a, when you wear a helmet. Should go without saying, but we'll say it anyways, just like a car seat, if you have a helmet that was involved in a crash, throw it away and get a new one. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people have a little, uh, they fall off their bike, they hit their helmet, and they should know once your helmet's been involved in a crash, uh, you, you've really uh, compromised the helmet. It could have cracked. You need to get a new helmet. And as you said, it's the same thing with a car seat. If your car has been involved in a crash, any of the car seats in the car should be replaced. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Kevin Borup, Associate Director of the Injury Prevention Center at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. There's already been a push this season to, again, get the word out about hot cars and making sure kids are not left in them. I know some vehicles actually have a warning system built in right now. Senator Blumenthal among those pushing for that to be a requirement with all new vehicles. What reminder do you have for parents and caregivers? Well, you know, the Where's Baby Look Before You Lock campaign is is alive and well in this state. And you can see billboards and and different ads trying to raise awareness about this issue. When it becomes hot, people forget how quickly a car can heat up. And so what we recommend is that if you're going to be having a child in your car that you're transporting, and generally uh, this is traveling to daycare or some uh, regular kind of uh, uh, a journey like that, put something in the back seat. If you have a briefcase in your lunch, put it in the back where the child is in their car seat. Some people even recommend take off your left shoe and put your left shoe in the back as well. You're not going to go very far with only one shoe on. We've heard a lot about cars being stolen around Connecticut because they're left unlocked, but that can also pose other dangers. I'm thinking about children maybe you know, playing in a car out in the driveway or something, parents not knowing, and getting stuck inside. That's right. Um, you know, when we look at uh, the statistics behind uh, deaths in hot cars, you know, more than 20% of those are kids who've climbed into a car and have been unable to get out. So if you have a car in your driveway, make sure it's locked. Not only will that stop your car from being stolen, but a uh, child in the neighborhood who's curious or even your own child uh, won't be able to crawl into the vehicle to check it out. So certainly lock your vehicles. And if a child goes missing, if you have a pool, check your pool and go and check every car in the driveway to make sure they're not there. You talked about pools. Let's talk more about water safety and what we should know. With pools and with water safety in general, what we're talking about are barriers. The more barriers between a child and the water, the better. And barriers are common things like fences, locking gates, also parent supervision or caregiver supervision, uh, life jackets, flotation devices, all of these different strategies are a barrier. Now, if you uh, if you are at a party, you should have a water watcher. If you have a pool and kids are in the pool, someone should be watching the water. That should be their primary task. They're not drinking. They're not turning their back to the pool, but they're actively watching the water. 
Um, I think it's very important that we continue to raise awareness about this issue. Children uh, under, uh, from one to the age of four are, are at high risk for this, and it's one of the uh, 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 most prevalent causes of death in that age group after congenital uh, conditions. Now, the water can be fun, but how do you instill that you know, sense of respect you should have for the water and that it can be dangerous? Well, you know, it's summer, and, and what's a kind of a rite of passage for many kids are swim lessons. Uh, if you have a, a young child, bring them to swim lessons, sign them up, and have them go through all those levels of swim lessons. You can look at your local town for what they have on offer through, through their parks and rec departments or contact your local Y, and they often have swim lessons as well. Now, the 4th of July, just over a month away, a lot of people like to celebrate with fireworks, but they are not toys. No, fireworks are not toys. And what people don't realize is even those uh, sparklers that everyone loves and loves to wave around around the 4th of July, they don't explode, they don't fly off, they just, they just sparkle. But they are so hot. They're over 1,000 degrees. And that quickly can cause a very dangerous situation, either catching clothes on fire or even causing injury. And these tend to be injuries uh, to the face uh, or upper body. So you really need to be careful. And so parental supervision is key. And uh, if you need to light off fireworks and you think this is something you just need to do for tradition, have adults handle the fireworks, and have all children stand far back from those fireworks. And the bottom line is if they fly through the air, they're not legal in Connecticut. That's right. That's right. But we do have fountains in Connecticut, and they do uh, spew uh, uh, fire and, and sparks in the air. And although they don't fly, they do send things into the air that can be uh, dangerous. So better yet, take in a professional show. The, the best advice, Aaron, you always have the best advice, but you're absolutely right. The best way to watch fireworks in Connecticut isn't in your backyard, but it's at one of the shows put on by the many cities and towns in the state. So we've been talking about a lot of hazards, but I, I guess you don't want to scare the heck out of kids and parents so they stay indoors all summer. How do you find that balance? That's right. It's a tough balance. I mean, today kids have more available to them inside uh, with electronics than ever before, and you certainly want them to get outside. So uh, the best way to do this is in a safe manner. So swim lessons are a great idea. Uh, go over to your friend's pool or neighbor's pool, but just make sure an adult is watching and, and being that water watcher. As far as biking the same rules. Go out on your bike, put your helmet on, and have fun with your friends out in the neighborhood. And that's why it's important for all of us uh, to be aware and practice safety in our lives, be aware of our surroundings, and notice uh, the other people around us. So if you're in a car, notice those bicycles. And if you're on a bicycle, uh, look around and make sure you're aware of where the traffic is. Any legislation you're tracking at the state capitol? I know we're in the final days. Uh, one proposal has been for a motorcycle helmet law for everyone. That's been scaled back. Um, it currently stands, I believe, at under 21, correct? That's right. Uh, you know, for years in the United States, uh, back in the 70s, the motorcycle helmet laws were tied to transportation funds, and therefore most states had a motorcycle helmet law. Connecticut repealed its back in the late 70s, and we've had a partial helmet law since then. This would just increase the age from uh, under 18 to under 21, and so anyone riding a motorcycle under 21, if this 
passes, we'll see uh, where it is, then they would be required to wear a motorcycle helmet. You hear from motorcyclists that, you know, helmets might restrict my vision or what I'm able to hear. What does the research say? Well, the research is clear around motorcycle helmets. It says that if you wear a helmet, you will drastically reduce your risk of dying in a crash. In terms of legislative agenda, do folks at the Injury Prevention Center have any other wish list items they'd like to see taken up by lawmakers? I think when we look at it, motorcycle helmets for everyone would be something that uh, we'd, we'd like to see in the state. Uh, the states around us have motorcycle helmet laws uh, that apply to anyone who rides a motorcycle. So I think uh, you know that's something we'd like to see in the laws for those provisions to cover everyone. Now tell us more about what the Injury Prevention Center does, the, the outreach and the research and why you exist. Well, Connecticut Children's Medical Center, we've had an injury prevention center from when the Connecticut Children's Medical Center opened. And uh, we do four basic things. We uh, do a lot of research around how to prevent children from getting injured. We conduct a number of community outreach programs. Safe Kids Connecticut is a program of Connecticut Children's. And if you want to learn more about all the laws around uh, child passenger restraint, you can go to ctsafekids.org. Um, in addition, uh, we do a lot of training of students and medical residents. And then finally, we do some work on providing education around policy issues. Going back to child passenger safety, that's important. That's always something that comes up, especially when there's a, a new child in the family. What should people know? The back seat is the safest, number one, right? The back seat, absolutely. If you are under the age of 13, you should be in the back seat. That's the best place for you. I think child passenger safety is challenging for uh, for a lot of parents because they're not clear on what the laws are. And so if you have an infant, uh, they should be rear-facing until they're two years old at least because they have to be two and 30 pounds before you move them up to one of those forward-facing seats. Now, for older kids, older kids need to stay in a five-point harness once they get out of that, that rear-facing seat. And they have to stay in a seat with a five-point harness until they're at least uh, five years old and 40 pounds. So just five isn't enough, just 40. You have to be five years old and 40 pounds before you can move out of that. And once you move out of that, now you're into a booster seat. And with a, a booster seat, you should stay in a booster seat really until the seatbelt fits you. Um, the law is at least eight years old and 60 pounds. But as we know, many kids won't be 60 pounds until they're nine, 10 years old. But the most important thing about a booster seat is the booster seat lifts the child up so that the harness that's, a, that's the seatbelt that's part of the vehicle fits them correctly. It goes across their body, but does not go across their neck. And so you want to make sure that when you put your child in your car, when you put the seatbelt on, whatever age they are, that it fits appropriately so it does not injure them in a crash. The booster seat lifts them up and makes sure the seatbelt is in the appropriate position so your child uh, is protected in the case of crash. What are the rules in terms of airbags and having a car seat in front of them? It's right. a no-no, so, right? So there are some vehicles that only have uh, seats in front, uh, pickup trucks as an example. And your pickup truck, if you have one and you're going to be transporting uh, young children in the vehicle, just check your owner's manual. Uh, many seats will automatically turn off the front airbag if it's under a certain weight. 
but some require you to manually turn off the airbag. You want to make sure if you have a young child in, in the front, in rear-facing or forward-facing, uh, that that airbag is off. Airbags explode at such force that the physiology uh, of, of a young person, it, it's, it, they're not strong enough yet, and that explosive airbag could cause damage. Where can people learn more about the Injury Prevention Center? You can learn more about us by going to ConnecticutChildrens.org slash IPC. He is Kevin Borup, Associate Director of the Injury Prevention Center at Connecticut Children's Medical Center in Hartford. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.